Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, there's a streaming standoff going on between Roco and YouTube TV. Why does that matter to you? Well, this was once a big issue with cable and satellite. It's now migrating to the streaming world, and I want you to know how you play this thing. Also, there's huge news in the new car buying industry, something that I think is going to absolutely change the experience for you buying a new car across the United States. So Roku is the dominant platform in the United States, uh, along with uh, Second Fiddle is Amazon Fire for streaming television service. There's minor market share with an Apple device and a Google device, but the real action has been with Roku and, to a lesser extent, Amazon Fire. So when you have programming available through Roku or any of these various services, there's a revenue share of some kind, some secret formula, that each app negotiates with the streaming platform. Well, Google, with its YouTube TV, which is, the I think, the dominant platform for streaming uh, something close to traditional cable kind of stuff with live channels and local networks and all that stuff. YouTube TV, according to Roku, is playing really uh, hard to get along with and making demands that they consider to be unreasonable. And Roku put out a release calling uh, Google a monopoly that was using its monopoly power to crush the little guy and it's getting really ugly and has always happened when sports packages or channels or whatever would disappear from cable or from your satellite where you were paying for that programming who loses in all this when these giants these titans of television start slugging it out you and i lose so what you potentially face is you could be paying 65 a month for YouTube TV or through, um, if you're a T-Mobile subscriber, 55 a month for YouTube TV. Hey, you didn't know you could do that if you're a T-Mobile subscriber, did you? Yep, but you can. You get $10 a month savings. But you're about to be in a position where you're going to be paying that. And if they don't learn to make nice you and I aren't going to be able, if we use Roku as our platform for streaming, to be able to watch YouTube TV. And the companies are going to keep battling by press release to say, no, we're not the bad guy. They're the bad guy. Um, or they're the worse guy than us. There, there are no good guys in these fights when you and I as consumers 
get squeezed. So if this does happen and your screen goes dark from YouTube TV as a Roku user, and again, we're going to see this again and again with all the platforms where programming we're paying for is going to go dark, you're going to see these tortured notices from Google telling you how you can work around your Roku to watch YouTube TV. And there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way for these uh, fights within the television industry or video industry to be settled short of putting you and me in the middle. I think about people with uh, sports packages that are nuts of a particular sport, whatever it is, and they're paying for a programming package that includes the team they love or the sport they love, and then it goes dark because of one of these fights. This is wrong and should not continue to be an issue. And even if YouTube TV goes dark on Roku, it will be for a relatively short period of time. And then they'll learn to get along. But then in the meantime, you and I are left sitting there as collateral damage. And Greg wants to talk about it too, right? Yeah, actually, Greg in California wrote in and said, what's going on with the great battle of Roku and Google? I heard a rumor I may lose my YouTube TV. It's probably not that big of a deal because I'll just use a different service until the next great battle occurs. But this is very frustrating from a consumer standpoint. At the rate this is going, you'll need a media stink segment on your show soon so your listeners can vent about how all these battles between streaming companies are only hurting the consumers. Okay, so Greg like predicted what I was going to say about that. And Greg, you added something that I meant to mention and I failed to. And that is that the power we have as consumers is if this thing makes your YouTube TV go dark, then we've got a bunch of alternatives you can use for streaming channels. And in fact, we've done a comparison recently on Clark.com comparing each of the services, the advantages and disadvantages and the price points. Uh, Bulletin YouTube TV is probably the most comprehensive, but also the most expensive at 65 a month retail. There are others that start as cheap as 20 bucks a month. And then Jake in Georgia says, I read the post on your website about negotiating internet costs, which recommends pitting providers against each other. I'm moving into a new complex and the only provider is AT&T, which requires you to rent their equipment and pay a ridiculous $10 a month rental fee. Is there any way to negotiate this? Jake, there is not, but I did want to tell you about two potential alternatives in the new complex that you may not be aware you have. Uh, T-Mobile now offers a wireless internet, and I've been using it for a couple of months. Chris has been using it for more than six months, and I find that it is adequate, but the big test is my teenager has not complained about the quality of it so far, although your teen did complain, right? He did, yeah, but he's a complainer. Okay, (laughs) that's not nice for you to say about your son. So if you are in an eligible address, which again, 30 million households are, the T-Mobile is 60 a month for pretty robust internet service. The other, and no contracts required. The other choice available to you is from Verizon Wireless that is rolling out more and more millions of households 
that are eligible for their wireless home internet that is a better deal if you are a Verizon wireless customer for cell service, but still better than what you pay the cable monster, in your case, AT&T, for home internet. And I would see if either of those are available. Then that gives you a lot of negotiating power with AT&T, where you can say, you know, I was going to go with you, but I've got this much cheaper offer from, let's say, Verizon. And they say, well, well, then what if we offer you this special deal that we'll give you for one year, blah, 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 blah. But AT&T does not come off the ripoff charge of $10 for their modem that has an effective cost to them of probably 60 cents a month that they're charging you $10 a month for. It's just another ripoff fee from a big former monopoly. All right, and let's just stick with the monthly uh, technology here. Michael in Pennsylvania says, I want to know your thoughts on Google's phone plan, Google Fi. Is it worth it? I have my phone plan with T-Mobile at the moment, but I wouldn't mind switching providers if I can save some money. Michael, Google Fi is uh, really a great viable alternative. It also is maybe the best choice if you travel significantly once the pandemic is behind us overseas. But I did want to mention something as a T-Mobile user, and that is instead of doing Google Fi, since you already know T-Mobile works where you are, look at Walmart Family Mobile as an alternative. Or if you're not married to T-Mobile necessarily, which you wouldn't be if you're looking at Google Fi, also look at something like Visible. Uh, Visible is Verizon's hidden discount brand, which is funny, the name's Visible. And then Verizon also has another brand, which is Yahoo Mobile. Who knew that Yahoo still existed as a viable brand? So any of those would be a lot cheaper than what you have right now with T-Mobile if you're just a single line with T-Mobile. And then Ron in Illinois says, I looked just looked at my diversified retirement account and was surprised that in just four months, my short-term bond account went from $52,000 to $50,000. We all understand that in a rising interest rate economy, the bonds fall in value. This is why I invested in short-term bonds. If not short-term bonds, where can I put my money? CDs, treasury bonds, the mattress? So the 4% that you lost on your uh, short-term bond fund in just a very, very short period of time, 120 days, that self-corrects over time. I would not fret necessarily unless you have money in there that you need to use imminently. I would be okay. I would chill because I had the same thing. I'm in a short-term municipal bond fund and I've seen a decline so far in 21, but also on a similar order to your decline and so if you were in a long-term bond fund, you would have seen a potentially much more significant decline in value. That's why you're in the short-term bond. But over time, even if you're looking at a period, let's say of a few years, you're going to find that the short-term bond fund will way outperform in a typical cycle what you could earn in CDs or a savings account. And next... I'm going to tell you about something that when we were having our podcast planning meeting, I was freaking out with excitement. <laughs> and Krista was like, 
I just don't get it. Why is this such a big deal? But it is the first step in a major change in making new car buying the way it should be customer friendly. I think about over the years that I've been talking to you about your wallet since the mid-1980s, I've had more complaints about the vehicle experience, buying experience, than any other thing. And it'll change month to month, year to year. And with our off-air advice center, our Team Clark Consumer Action Center, we track all the complaints that come in and problems with the vehicle buying experience, new and used, are always, um, I guess you call them a big winner, really a big loser, where they're always there is an area that people have had a lot of dissatisfaction with the experience. The used car business, as I've been sharing with you for many years, has been moving market share gradually but steadily towards customer-friendly buying options. It started with CarMax in the 90s and has accelerated lately due to the internet because of the rapidly growing Carvana, Vroom, and others like it that sell you a used car in a customer-friendly way with some warranty coverage, the right to return the vehicle for a full refund for any reason in a period of time. CarMax now 30 days for that in a lot of their locations. And Carvana is seven days. And everything about the experience these companies are about is doing things the way customers want them done. I remember the founding CEO of CarMax when I did a TV story with him back when CarMax first opened its first location, which may have been in Virginia, if I remember a long time ago. I said, you're not from the car industry. How did you come up with your concept for CarMax? And he said, well, we did focus groups and asked people what they thought of the car buying business. And universally, they hated it. And we said, we took what they hated and tried to eliminate it from car buying and make it all about the customer. Well, now obviously, CarMax, I guess they're the biggest seller of used cars in the United States. They've steadily taken market share, but there's still a lot left on the table. Even as used cars are moving gradually towards customer-friendly, the new car buying experience continues to be atrocious, hideous, the worst. And, you know, old habits die hard. The business has been based on the grind. And there are some other expressions I could use that we've learned from new car uh, salespeople and managers, <laughs> and I cannot mention on this podcast. I know I don't have to worry about the FCC or anything like that on a podcast, but this is a family-friendly podcast, so I won't use some of the expressions that they use behind the customers' backs when they're selling them new cars. So what's the grind? The grind is when you show up at a dealer and they try to keep you there many, many hours, get you thirsty, get you hungry, and get you to where you make an emotional decision out of exhaustion, and you sign whatever they put in front of you. I call it new car buying torture. 
Well, now from within the industry, I always say change comes from without an industry, but this time I'm wrong because the most customer-friendly initiative and how you buy a new car since Tesla launched its way of buying a new car is now available at driveway.com, driveway.com. They sell used cars too, but that's not the action I'm interested in. So you go to driveway, you put in the vehicle you're interested in buying, and it works in much of the country now. And you are able to put in the make, the model, the version, the equipment you want, the colors you want, make it as specific or as general as you want. And you will see immediately the manufacturer suggested retail on a vehicle and what they will sell it to you for. No games, no gimmicks. This company is it's behind the scenes. Driveway is owned by what was a, a sizable dealer group, but not a monster. And they accumulated funds to buy up dealers geographically across the country so that they can become ultimately a national platform for you to buy new cars the same kind of customer-friendly way that you buy used cars from CarMax or Carvana. This is huge. So you can put in any year, make, and model, and they may not have franchise locations for all of them. But you'll be able to see when you put one in, and then they'll tell you what inventory is available for that vehicle and what it's going to cost. And you can get really, really specific. Like here I'm looking at um, a number of new vehicles where you can put in that, let's say you're looking at an SUV and you want one with a third row, or you want one that's all wheel drive, or you don't want one with either of those things. You want adaptive cruise control. By the way, if you've never had a vehicle with adaptive cruise control, it's the greatest. So the reason that I'm doing uh, this excited, breathless thing about driveway before I know what the actual consumer experience is going to be on the ground and whether I'm cursing myself that I'm now going to have complaints. Well, I went to buy one from them and this, that, or the other happened. It's the fact that they're building a platform from the ground up to make car buying clean and for new cars. And before you know it, this is the kind of thing that has crawled over the last couple of decades, moving car selling to customer friendly. We're getting close to where it's going to gallop. And I guess if you thought of an outsider, a disruptor, Tesla's it. That's why the dealers in every state in the country have conspired to try to make it illegal for Tesla to sell vehicles in the states they operate. Because Tesla, uh, you can actually pick out a Tesla model, build it the way you want, pay your deposit, and be done with the whole thing in three minutes or less. Why does it have to take hours to buy a car at a traditional dealer? Why? Because it's how they've always done it, not the way they should be doing it. If you're a car dealer, the web address you want to go to is clark.com slash clarkstinks. 
Um, I pulled together some questions here. Mike in Oklahoma says, with used car prices as high as they are, is it a good idea to trade in two cars that are paid for for one newer one? Fascinating. Uh, If you can get down to one vehicle, you'll pay an inflated price for the one newer one that you replace your two older ones with, but you'll have something a lot more reliable. You know, vehicles across the age lineup are selling in the used vehicle market at very inflated prices. And when you try to figure out what those two are going to bring, don't focus just on trading them in somewhere together against the one you want to buy. Go price them. I was mentioning Carvana minutes ago. Carvana will give you a price that they will buy your vehicle from you for. A lot of vehicles, CarMax will do that as well. And now a lot of local dealers will buy a vehicle from you, even if you're not buying one from them. You want to shop that side of the deal first because you may find you'll make a lot more money on those two vehicles, selling them independently from the purchase you make of the one later than doing a traditional trade-in. Okay, and Martin in Connecticut says, if buying a used Tesla, how can your mechanic look it over if he's not an expert on electric cars? Would buying only from a Tesla dealer be the better way? So the used Tesla market has a big gap in pricing buying a used Tesla from Tesla or buying it from an independent. And part of it is this, uh, this problem that when you buy independently, you have no way of really knowing the history of that vehicle. And what I've recommended to people who want to buy a used Tesla independently, not from Tesla, is that you can't really find a mechanic that can check it out the traditional way. You want a body shop to check it out to see if it's been in any major accident. I'm more concerned about an accident than I am other issues. If you're looking at a Model S or X, though, and it is 2015 to 2017, maybe 2018, you'll be able to find this if you search. There's a major recall that makes the S and X hard to use because of a design flaw that Tesla did in the main brains of the operation of the vehicle. And if that vehicle has not been repaired under the recall, you could be buying real trouble buying a used one in those years. And Krista, it's 16 to 18 or? For the X, the S is 2012 to 2018. Wow. So if someone can't demonstrate to you that the recall has been done, performed on the vehicle, then that would be something that could be a terrible problem for you. To tell you specifically what happens You park the vehicle, you go in, you do stuff, you come out, and the vehicle seems dead as could be, and it has to go through a reboot each time that can potentially be several minutes. Tesla has dragged its feet on performing the recall work, and they're leaving people in danger. Think about a woman alone in a parking lot at night whose car is asleep and won't come alive. 
Okay, Tiffany in Georgia is currently in the market for a used Toyota Prius. She says, I have a budget of around $6,000 or less. I've been looking at older models with 120K to 160K miles. My friend, however, just told me that they're selling their 2013 Prius for around $4,000 with over 200,000 miles. I was, cur- I was originally not looking at that high of mileage, but I know this car has been taken care of and tons of maintenance records and the hybrid battery is still under warranty for two more years. Is this a good buy or yes. should I stick with the lower mileage <laughs> no, Prius? If you know the people, you know how they've maintained it. $4,000 is such low risk in this case. I would buy the vehicle you know has been babied, the 2013, put the $4,000 on it and think about it compared to a normal vehicle payment it'll be essentially free transportation after eight months so i think that is well worth it in the case of a prius though since it's a friendly purchase you can go in most cities to an independent toyota uh, repair facility where these independents have opened up in mid-size and large markets and pay them a fee usually hundred or so dollars to run the vehicle through its paces and tell you if in fact it is mechanically sound as best they can determine. And I want to thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. And I know we did a lot of the car stuff. Again, we get so many questions about that. And for more consumer advice you can trust, you can contact Team Clark to see how to do that. The hours you can talk with someone one-on-one about your question be for concern go to clark.com slash cac